Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast uh, featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to uh, be talking about a second part of our uh, shoulder impingement, more the uh, interventions uh, that we uh, commonly use today, uh, some evidence supporting them, and uh, just ways guys get you better at treating the shoulder, the infamous shoulder impingement. But before I get into too much about that, Brandon, how's it going? Going well over here. It is a crummy day, raining and cold, dreary day. Ugh. But uh, other than that, still uh, still being productive here. Um, got my drink, except uh, we'll be honest. I don't know if I will be finishing it today. I'm going to go light because I was out last night and had a couple too many there. And uh, yeah. So, but I have my, uh, I have my blade and bow. So that's what I'm drinking, yeah. drinking today. What, what do you have? The last of that winter series. We're almost into a year later of that winter, uh, from, uh, was that, that was last year, that whole, uh, white elephant thing. Uh, this is wood chocolate stout from smutty nose brewing company. Uh, so it's aged now a little bit chocolate stout for you. It's crummy. It's cold. Might as well. Uh, I will, uh, I'm a huge stout fan. Very excited about the uh, stat that your employee Marta gave me. I'll pull that out on the next crummy day show. Uh, but I wanted to finally get this bad boy out of my fridge. So cheers everyone. Very nice. Because I'm partial to stouts. You give us 7.5 standard chocolatey stout, uh, which I've probably had a hundred of these over the years. Uh, but you know, it has a hint of chocolate, um, kind of coffee vibes to it, but not bad, not bad. 7.5. What, what was the name of that one again? Uh, Wood Chop Chocolate Stout uh, from Smutty Nose Brewing Company in, you know what? I have no idea. Uh, Hampton, New New Hampshire. So maybe I'll go there one day. Very nice. That one we had at that um, Axe and Arrow is that the name of the place across from your your yep. play, um, your office? So uh, for our audience, we just had a, a lumbar pelvic course um, at Jeremy's uh, clinic. Awesome weekend. After the first day, the whole group went to um, Axe and Arrow. Right, that's it. Yep. Um, that Chaco stout I had. I don't know if I'm saying yeah. it right. That was, that was pretty solid. That's solid. I like that one better than. But uh, I'm not a beer guy. So, and I like yeah, so it. it was good. On the uh, Brandon scale, that must have been a close nine then. It was at up least. There. Yeah. It was up <laughs> um, but uh, cool. I do want to try that one. But we're, we're getting off topic here. Let, let, let's go back to um, part two uh, of subacromial impingement syndrome. Uh, for those of you who are, are just joining us, we, uh, in the previous episode or part one, really kind of talked about different diagnosis, um, how to use certain tests to identify uh, certain pathologies instead of just using all the tests that you've learned uh, about the shoulder. Can we group things, cluster things, uh, and only use certain tests uh, when we're looking to diagnose shoulder pathologies? Um, obviously here we're talking about impingement, but I, I believe we also went into tubs and, um, Ambry and, you know, multi-directional instability and, and things like that. Um, but, and rotator cuff, uh, type stuff. But, uh, 
this episode is going to be more on the treatment side. So, uh, Jared, what are some, um, I guess, some of your common go-tos uh, and how they maybe became your go-tos? What, what has been your evolution mm-hmm. over, you know, six, seven years? Um, and now you're in a sports fellowship, so I'm sure you're evolving even more. So, Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a big evolution with this probably one of the more profound ones uh, over if I looked at my initial start um, was as much direct access working uh, for a hospital group. And uh, I was the, got the shoulder impingement and it was pec minor releases for me, uh, external rotation to, to the day they die, uh, a little scap retraction, everybody's retracting. Um, and Oh, uh, inferior and AP mobilizations of the glenohumeral joint. So that was that was that was a cookie cutter program, mm-hmm. uh, and rightfully so. Not as many people get better all the way or 100%. Some people did, uh, and those are those ones where I mentioned, like the shoulder symptom modification procedure uh, last time. Uh, so that's when everything makes the shoulder better. Doesn't matter what you do. Some people are just naturally going to get better. And we know from research as a large biopsychosocial component to impingements. Uh, some people just need to be seen by somebody for a quick little bit and just be like, hey, you're going to be fine. Um, so understanding that, having those educations, uh, but then following residency and everything like that, starting to transition towards, I think Scott Burns mentioned it. Um, he said uh, he was teaching us a shoulder. He said he doesn't even do much shoulder mobs at that point. Uh, so that really kind of opened up my eyes being that at that point, that's all I did. Um, minus the little pec minor release and stuff like that. Um, starting to put a lot of emphasis into the T spine. Um, that was, that was pretty big for me. Uh, you kind of combine it with that shoulder symptom modification, but just understanding deeper diving into the orthokinematics of you know shoulder motion and those sort of things and paying respect to how much motion happens at the shoulder and the scapular thoracic joint during motion i started diving more into doing just you know thoracic manipulations uh it's evolved a little bit more specifically to each individual versus just let's light up the thoracic spine now uh and then you know that transition where i was talking about where it was mostly retractions for everyone. Everyone's got to bring them back and down, everybody. Uh, and then kind of realizing that's not how the shoulder works during the whole entire motion of shoulder, especially overhead motion, uh, caused me to have to think about, you know, a better way to treat each person individually at what area they have problems, what part of the motion. So, you know, sometimes people need upper trap work, uh, need either, you know, lower trap or serratus work it's kind of diving a little bit more deeper into things so uh definitely more of an emphasis onto some scapular work uh both manually which i've really come done more this last year than years in the past we can talk about that in a bit um and then you know stop going to town doing a million rotator cuff exercises actually probably doing less and less of that each year that goes by but what about you, Brandon? Yeah, sim- similar um, thought process to you. I remember, uh, I guess, like, luckily, I-, I jumped into residency early on, so I didn't have too many, but I, I remember doing pec minor stuff, pin and stretch. I remember doing that. 
um, a stem to like the deltoid region, um, maybe posterior delt, infraspinatus, watch it light up red, uh, you know, things like that. Um, trying to do joint mobs, which at the time I remember, uh, and I think I said this last, um, last uh, podcast episode, but I remember going to Scott and, and like literally raising my hand in the middle while he was talking. I was like, can we go over joint mobs? Because I told him, it was like, they suck. I was like, I don't find them useful. I was like, maybe I'm doing them wrong. But every shoulder patient I work with, I try and mobilize and they don't like it. Um, so, and, you know, he kind of smiled. He's like, yeah, we'll go over it. And just showed me just a different way to, to mobilize the shoulder that's comfortable. You're not closing down on it. I mean, most of us are taught, bring it up to nine degrees of abduction and just kind of push. Uh, and that just wasn't carrying over. I do remember trying to implement some thoracic mobilizations um, at the time, maybe even some some manipulations, though they weren't that good back then. Uh, just because I had read an article and I remember reading Greg Hook's stuff and back then his his FMS book uh, or movement book, I should say, and him talking about regional interdependence. And there was a thing on there that talked about the T spine is very interrelated with the shoulder and the scapula. And I was like, yeah, of course, why? Why does it? So that was like my early on, you know, um, foray into that. And like you, I, I moved away from it um, while maybe I had half a kudos because I did thoracic uh, mobilizations and or manipulations. Uh, didn't really treat the neck. Um, I would say most shoulder mm -hmm. patients. Uh, let me see if I have a stat here. Uh, most people with shoulder pain have neck pain as well. Um, I think 80 percent. Let me see if I can mm -hmm. find this stat here i think i have it up maybe so it's at least that just anecdotally my experience um i thought i had it in the presentation actually i'm gonna i'm gonna add it to the presentation now i thought it was there um the the new course that we're working on shoulder management but yeah about 80 percent of people with with shoulder pain have um have neck neck uh pain as well so clearing at the neck incorporating neurodynamics has been mm -hmm. huge, especially over the past two years uh, or so. Um, looking at the scapula uh, motions, we're talking about um, force coupling. Uh, I've, you know, over the years, and I used the analogy, I'm not sure if I used it before, but, um, you know, you have a 18, 1800 Civil War cannon, you know, and it's shooting off of a cement ground. I think I mentioned it last, last episode, but uh, I'll repeat myself nice. again. Uh, versus using that same cannon on a little canoe in, in water. Uh, you know, if you have an unstable shoulder blade or shoulder girdle um, and you're trying to generate a lot of force, whether you're bench pressing or an overhead athlete or, you know, even somebody carrying a kid or reaching overhead, um, things are going to get wonky uh, and impinged. But it's that balance. I've also found that the upper trap knot that a lot of people try and rub out and – and trigger point out and theragun out and trigger point out really is more um, weakness. And that's been something I've, I've learned over the, uh, the past year. And I don't know why I didn't make that connection sooner. Cause I made that connection sooner for the mid traps years ago, probably like five years ago. And for some reason, the upper trap didn't come along um, making that connection where I, actually those patients, I tried to, um, I have them do shrugs and I have them do it in a specific plane that doesn't have them come forward and use those anterior muscles, but can they re slightly retract and come up so that shoulder is in line with the occiput and they're really getting all those fibers. Um, so we'll, we'll dive a little bit 
um, deeper there into that. But uh, you want to, do you have any articles that you want to share with us or any case uh, examples, Jay? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have any articles up right now. Uh, okay. I've been busy, as I mentioned before. I have a presentation for uh, AOM for anyone who's going. Uh, post a presentation, Brandon. You have uh, your classic uh, manipulations one. Yeah. Is so uh, Kyle and I, um, Kyle Feldman, um, he is—he's been on a show before. He and I are doing a third series. So there's a third year in a row we're presenting. Uh, the first year was on uh, bringing the confidence back to spinal manipulation. Uh, the second one, which was last year, which you attended, was on bringing back confidence to upper extremity manipulation and this year we're doing the lower extremity so we're pre presenting that virtually cool 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 so yeah i don't have i mean we do have the i do have the impingement uh, articles that i use um i don't have them readily up in those sort of things as for case studies and, um yeah for case i want i want to bring up something um that you know just to kind of stir up some conversation because a lot, especially with what we know of secondary impingement, we talked about this a lot of time, primary versus secondary. Uh, there's a big knock on, um, you know, is asymmetries in the scapula uh, fine or not fine? Uh, we know that most people do have a asymmetries. Um, we know, like, especially like kids and stuff, they have winging scapula, and we, we try and do some things with that. Uh, is it okay to have asymmetries um, or is it, you know, something that we should take a respect to or address? Well, what do you, what do you think there, Brandon? And I'm just going to put up a picture just for a, for a fun purposes. Yeah. I'm going to say asymmetries are, are good. Um, you know, obviously there, there may be an extent to it, but that's a great picture. And I was actually going to talk about that. See how, um, his right side is sloped down. Uh, I'm guessing he's a, an athlete. Uh, I see that a lot in athletes, weightlifters. Um, one side shrugs down a little or slopes down more. Overhead athletes, I see that. Um, there's, there's imbalances from just 20 years of life. You know, people are, or, you know, 20 plus years, depending on how, how old the person is, um, that things occur. I don't think we should necessarily kill ourselves trying to fix every little thing as long as that we get that person pain-free at the end of the day uh, i think you know posture and symmetry um kind of get focused on too much in our uh, our field but no one's perfect absolutely i think that's a great answer um you know there's gonna be some things that we just aren't going to be able to correct um from an asymmetry standpoint try working with bodybuilders and I had a niche of bodybuilders at one time. Uh, there's just going to be things that, you know, you're going to be shifted a little bit different. You know, everything doesn't quite line up right. Uh, this particular individual, if you're wondering, is absolutely asymptomatic. Um, you were actually seeing him for a hand injury on the opposite side, but he's been throwing baseball athlete and those sort of things for the individuals. And this was, uh, I forget it was a keynote last year. Um, who started talking about this? Why well, um, AM? Yeah, AM, and she talked um, about. Well, Cleveland was, really, was the main keynote. Uh, she was one of the other. Was, yeah. I forget. I'll have to pull it up. Yeah. But she brought this up, this sort of stuff. 
Um, and I would say, yeah, before kind of understanding that there's, you know, poor posture and asymmetries and that's sort, I would won't even bother looking. I wouldn't bother, rarely took off the, the shirt of the client. Um, but uh, when now, during my examination, if I'm finding some issues with the scapula or scapulothoracic or the strength of those muscles, that's when I'll probably take off, I'll ask them, hey, can I, can I see these things? And if I'm already gonna do some things to that scapular region and those sort of things, uh, I might as well just try and see if I can link up what I see visually and um, you know what they report and those sort of things. So I may play around with, uh, maybe this individual, uh, it's definitely abducted, maybe I'll try and do some retraction, those sort of things or they're extremely elevated. Maybe I'll do a kind of down glide of the, of the scapula and those sort of things. Uh, and it's been, seems like it's been helping people quicker. Um, you know, they, there's gonna obviously be some carryover of different muscles, not the ones that you're exactly targeting, and those individuals get better. But for me, anecdotally, individuals are experiencing their pain or elimination of their pain a lot quicker. Um, something we also didn't, really mentioned, um, you know, play, I'm putting more mind into the AC and SC joint a lot of the times. So I've had a couple cases where in normal cases, I'm going to focus on thoracic, scapula, glenohumeral muscle stuff, um, and doing a deeper dive into seeing how they're I'm not going to go in the crazy, like, oh my God, one's up, one's down. Uh, understanding that's, uh, those asymmetries exist, but playing around with those um with those joints i've had some people probably some of the quickest ones i had we had one person uh had chronic shoulder kind of an impingement uh was considering surgery uh and just putting pressure inferior glide into the sc joint almost eliminated all his pain mobilized it for five minutes it was examination and he was pretty much symptom free. So for a second session follow up, and he's completely done. Uh, so doing, putting some time into that, it's something that blew off for probably a couple of years in all honesty. And I was mentioning PT school, I was like, meh. Um, I just, I think I gave up on it because I felt like I wasn't moving it much at all um, for a inherently stiffer, more stabilized joint. Um, so I kind of gave up on those sort of things, but yeah, those are, uh, those are something I just wanted to kind of bring up. I know there's a lot of you know, discussion in regards to that. Um, and yeah, at this point I just try to be as specific as I can, but don't kid myself anymore thinking I'm as specific as I am. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, agreed. And I, I had that kind of queued up actually, um, here with the, um, with a course that we're coming out with and like you said those, those patients and this is where really manual therapy and, and good quality physical therapy comes into i'm, I'm going to narrow it down to manual therapy um you know um well, i guess we in school we were taught everything we need to know right uh, at least in theory of, of where to go assess the joint above and below but that gets lost very quickly as soon as you see somebody and Somebody's talking to you and you're just a deer in a headlights look trying to figure it out. And it's very easy to get biased by our, I guess, just what we think it should be. 
Uh, and, and, you know, so you just keep plucking away, plugging away. And a lot of clinicians will just do some soft tissue to the delt because that's where the referred pain is. Um, some mobs and they have them, they have them do their exercises, but those patients that get 70%, 80% better and things are lingering. And, you know, it's, it's like that for a couple sessions, step off, take a step back and start treating some of those, those other areas that are interrelated. Um, you said AC and SC joint. I mean, that, that uh, clavicle, that SC joint needs to spin and depress for complete overhead range of motion. That's going to clear up a lot of that stuff there, especially something that's like, yeah, it's better, but I get there. It's still bothering me. Like mobilizations are only going to take you so far. Clearing up the T-spines are going to take you so far. Scapular assistance, maybe that helps, but what are you also doing? You probably have an effect on the AC joint because the AC joint is made up from the scapula. So if you're, you're gliding that up and assisting that, you're having an effect on the SC joint as well or on, on the clavicle. Um, I mean, that's where true manual therapy comes in, looking at things in combined motions, Look, you know, taking a step back and, and not just looking at it in one straight plane, but what else, what other layer am I missing? Um, you know, whether we talked last time about the ribs, second rib uh, syndrome, um, whether it's really that, whether it's something else, like being able to go cervical spine, CT junctions, uh, thoracic spine, um, ribs, scapula, AC joint, SC joint. Uh, then you have all the muscles and timing and motor control issues, neurodynamics, whether it's ulna or typically it's median, but you know, sometimes you can get ulna, uh, you know, looking at these things. Sometimes what if that person doesn't have full supination? or they, ha they don't have full um, wrist motion. And when they go to turn and open a door, they don't have supination or they can't. So what do they do? They externally rotate their arm all the time. It creates mm -hmm. aberrant motions. Like looking through the whole chain um, is where that separates the, those really good therapists from the not so good ones. Um, it's that attention to detail. And you're right. And um, I think it's somewhere in my, in my, as I see more over overhead athletes and pitching and over throwing athletes, uh, something that I would do is like, Oh, at one point kind of generalize too much of like, all right, well, they need more thoracic mobility. Who doesn't need more thoracic mobility? Um, and I started to, you know, everybody gets foam rolls over the, ex, you know, extension over maybe, thread the needle and those sort of things but starting to look as you or you're kind of alluding to um you know different positions and how they move throughout their daily life or sport you know certain things like thoracic rotation something that too many of us look at if you lack thoracic rotation with the rowing um where is it going to end up it's gonna you're gonna you have to make up for it at the at the shoulder junction more external rotation so i've had some people where I've done a specific thoracic rotation manipulation instead of the classic, you know, uh, see flexion or pistol or the, this, this type of motion, uh, that Brandon's putting up and that cleared them up for versus doing a standard extension one. Cause that's the easiest one. I'll do that. Okay. It seemed like you got better than get all the way then do something a little bit more specific and that's the ticket. So if we're not looking at it, we can't see it. Um, but uh, yeah, about to put up some some videos there. Oh, Doctor. No, uh, uh, I could press play on them, but I was no. just showing you know everything you were saying. Right mm -hmm. the needle. 
adding rotation. I think rotation, I concur with you, is overlooked and it's probably the most important motion in the T-spine is mm -hmm. rotation. First. Yep. Um, that manipulation with the bias that you showed, with the flexion bias, I think that's great. Most people live in extension anyway um, mm -hmm. and try and generate force, especially overhead athletes, weightlifters, things like that, uh, crossfitters, uh, Olympic lifters. So can we, we, we bias them you know, into more flexion? Those people with kyphotic positions, can we bias them to right. extension? Uh, you know, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. uh, wholeheartedly there. I was going to add something else. Oh, weight bearing oh. positions. Can you mm -hmm. do some things where you're weight bearing? Actually, I have one here. Um, it's actually uh, could be used as a nerve glide too. Um, and kind of going with that and something that we've talked about with neurodynamics. I mean, she's, she's weight bearing. She's putting weight through that. Can she protract on her left arm here as she reaches and rotates up through? Is that going to lead to some some neurodynamic stuff? Does she have the scapular stability to, to weight bear and protract through there? I mean, there's a lot of different things going on. Um, Steve Kenny, one of the the gentlemen, he's doing a, a poster presentation on neurodynamics, and he has combined neurodynamics from slump and upper extremity. Um, sometimes that may be needed in in certain populations, mm -hmm. um, or mobilizing. You know, we've had in our course, and we've talked about before. Can you mobilize someone's T-spine or C-spine while they're doing neurodynamic uh, to clear some stuff up a little bit more? Really combining treatments and getting out of this narrow view that we have that only one treatment can be done at one time and one intervention can be done at one time, which is what research a lot of times looks at. And then people poo-poo research because while well, it doesn't work or it says it's not effective, well, when in actuality are you doing one thing? In, in sports, in life, when is somebody just moving in a straight plane? They're typically moving loaded, while contorted, while carrying something, or while trying to generate a lot of force. A lot of things going on. Need to be able to, to understand that as, as well. Yeah, uh, I fullheartedly agree. And you got to look at it, you know, in, those, in my presentations also about doing combining joint mobs with neural mobs. If you really look at what's happening, yeah, we're adding some compression or load to the joint itself um, or gapping or moving it. We're moving the nerve. That patient's doing something active by generally helping you move them their own leg. And if you're really good, you're talking and doing some education all at the same time, getting some blood flow and everything like that. So in one move, you can be doing five things that can all be beneficial for the client. Um, and speaking of topics of, of neural dynamics, something looking back now we're talking and those sort of things of, you know, people uh, with the referral pains and, you know, impingement and stuff like that. I used to just always say, oh, yeah, you know, rarely do people feel shoulder pain in the shoulder. It's always down into the arm, into the delt area and that sort of things. And that's why I just, hey, there you go. And how many times I probably blew off looking at neural dynamics, um, and you know that this, yeah, that that's that sign was right there, and I just was like, oh yeah, that's normal, it's normal, normal, and just blew it off. Um, so for those individuals, you know, for listeners at home, if you're hearing your client say that the pain is more down the arm, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's part of the process, really, really look at you know i think neural dynamics is is probably very helpful and there's a good chance and that they're restricted or it's limited and you know really get good at the testing of it 
because there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, okay, put them in the quick one. All right, good. No, it didn't hurt them. All right, we're fine. Where I didn't, if I took it a little bit slower, probably was slow. I was like, you know what? They're probably missing 25% on this side. And maybe that's important. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. So, mm-hmm. And you won't know unless like, you assess it and assess it left to right and, yeah. and not just do it half-heartedly, but really take people through all those steps and mm-hmm. put some pressure on it and load them a little bit, especially more of those chronic people. And the exact, yeah, and the exact same steps and degrees as you do the other side. Sometimes they're like, oh, their head slipped, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> right. But that changes your test. Yeah. Um, so uh, definitely some things to think about um, when you're assessing neural dynamics, which uh, everyone should be assessing, not just for impingement, but um, yeah. for a lot of um, things. My, kind of last thing here, if you don't mind, Jer. Um, oh, I'm good. Uh, kind of some of the research. You know, Minkin has a, a couple articles that look at uh, cervical thoracic manipulations and, and exercise for uh, patients with uh, shoulder pain. And he had a criteria here. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, there we go. Um, and so while this is the criteria and he came out with this one, I believe in uh, what, 16 or, or I believe. And, you know, it was looking at pain-free shoulder, uh, shoulder flexion, less than 127 degrees, IR less than 53 at 90 degrees, abduction, a negative near test, not taking meds uh, for shoulder pain and symptoms less than 90 days. And, you know, it was thought to be that these people are going to respond to it. Then uh, I believe the year later, they came out with a validation study, which actually proved that, these factors aren't um, useful or successful and we shouldn't be using uh, these, these criteria in terms of rationalizing should we uh, perform a thoracic manipulation or, or really cervical thoracic manipulation. Um, honestly, I'm still manipulating somebody with, with shoulder pain. Uh, you know, whether it's this exact criteria or maybe it's just it's something um, else, you know, a lot of these patients respond to it. Uh, do they have to have a hunt less than 127 degrees? What if it's 130, um, you know, three degrees off, you know, what if it's 91 days, you know, they're, you know, what if they're taking Tylenol over counter Tylenol? I, I just think, you know, and I respect obviously Paul and Cleland and everyone else who did this, uh, these research here, but just cause their validation study didn't validate what they initially thought doesn't mean that we can't use, um, you know, some of these techniques as a, you know, a baseline to start to see if they respond to it. Uh, and, and maybe that response isn't all hundred percent, but maybe it gets them 30% better. And maybe that, that article, and we should probably do a, a podcast on just breaking up those two articles and why they didn't um, show the validation for people. But Cleland in 04 looked at performing thoracic manipulation for improving lower trap activation. You know, to me, all right, if, if I'm not using manipulation because the Minkin article didn't validate it, well, how about with the mindset of, all right, uh, thoracic manipulation is going to improve muscle activation around the periscapular region, and then I can layer into my treatment after that, um, you know, some periscapular work, throwing T's and Y's, maybe uh, weight-bearing protraction, uh, maybe a scapular plane wall angels or something like you, whatever exercise you choose, but not now you're layering it. So just a, a piece of, uh, I guess, advice for our audience out there. Yeah, I think things that fail validation don't warrant the ability to think, oh, I, I shouldn't do that at all. 
it just means that yeah they just the things that they originally thought were the things like that the highest likelihood ratio of a successful outcome maybe aren't you know it takes a lot to get validated in research especially for like clinical prediction rules and stuff yeah maybe that's us up to us to as clinicians to find out what is you know maybe obviously it takes work to do case studies and series and those sort of things but maybe you're finding stuff that you know every time i see this with this person and i do a nip or do this it's money all right well maybe i should you know do a study on this um but yeah combining multiple articles and those sort of things but yeah at this point you know as we talked about i don't put as much way to find direct CPRs and then when they don't mm-hmm. get validated because very few of them do um, mm-hmm. it's not it's not time to just say hey I'm, not, I'm done with this it's more all right I'm, I gotta find a more specific way of when this is exactly going to work the best versus yeah. us doing it on everyone yeah because that, that article had I think a 70 70 patients in each group so you're, you're trying to have 140 patients um, you know generalized to the masses and it just doesn't so it doesn't work for nobody, it doesn't matter what size article. Nobody, too ma- we're too heterogeneous as a as a species to, mm-hmm. to generalize that much. But yeah, good, all great talking points. Uh, I think uh, I think that was your last thing that you wanted to bring up there, Brandon. And uh, yeah. I think that's good. So uh, thanks for listening in. Um, little housekeeping. Our next course uh, it will be December what fifth and sixth. Yep, December 5th and 6th uh, in uh, my office at Pursuit BT in Verona, New Jersey. Uh, approved for credits in uh, both New Jersey and New York. Uh, so if you're in the area, please come check it out. It's usually one of our biggest um, or bigger course uh, courses that we have. Uh, what else do we have? Our, our mentorship platform. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, reach out to us. We'd be happy to, to help you out. It's, uh, you know, the standard of, I guess, going through a residency or fellowship program, obviously with three staff members that have uh, gone through both of those, uh, access to over 600 articles, uh, bi-monthly calls to talk about cases, private Facebook um, discussion group um, to synthesize articles, talk about patient cases, uh, a lot of other resources that we have on there as well. And then we have our uh, video library series that, that we offer um, out as well, over 120 manual therapy techniques with step-by-step instructions. Uh, we are continually adding to it and updating it. Uh, actually, I have some neurodynamics I need to, to upload that we just recently shot. So, uh, you know, give that a, a look. It's on, uh, could be found on the Pursuit PT website um, as of now, but hopefully within early 2020, we will be kind of rebranding the, um, the Pursue PT education site and, and kind of get its own true platform there. So uh, keep a, a heads out there. And now that I said it, I have to make sure I get it done. So there we go. Was, uh, little, little mind trick for, against myself there. So I think that's pretty much it for um, wrapping up there. And then Jared, where can everybody reach us at? Uh, you can find us at um, nips and sips on uh, all major social media platforms. Uh, feel free to subscribe to us. So, you know, when uh, episodes are dropping, and uh, I'm at the Decent Doctor and at Trifecta Therapeutics. Brandon's at uh, Think Like a Fellow and at Pursue PT Now. And he's got one more thing to say. Yes, I do. One more thing. Check us out. We're going to be on YouTube soon. We're not on YouTube yet. Well, maybe when this drops because it's probably not going to drop for a couple of weeks. Um, but 
since what episode, I don't know, 20 or something, 15, we, we've started doing these Zoom uh, recordings. So episode 25 on will we'll be on there um, where you can actually see our lovely faces. Uh, we'll put the, the first videos up there, but we'll probably just have uh, some photo over it and you'll just have to listen to audio. So we are mm -hmm. going to be entering into another platform on YouTube. Um, so I know people maybe like to, uh, to watch what they listen to or whatever, but we'll, we'll be on there as well. There we go. Exciting times, but, uh, yeah, thanks for every, for everyone for listening in and cheers. Cheers guys.